Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning to you, the last Friday in June as we welcome you along to the programme. We have uh, Bernie once again sitting in for John Paul who's been off all this week. So Bernie's taking your calls at 1850 You can text our, our WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. And I just want to start with a quick mention to children breaking up for the summer holidays. Most schools, now I know a lot of the schools, the primary schools broke up various days uh, throughout this week finally breaking off the school holidays and then I think I'm right in saying am I that the, the, the rest of the schools today is the final day and school will be out for a summer well this I saw spotted this on Twitter uh, last night Trish O'Neill who is Connor's mum has asked me to give a shout out to Mr Lehan's class in Skull Isagon in Mallow their last day is today so hi to all of the children in Skull Isagon in Mallow but particularly those in Mr. Lee Han's class and actually later on today on the programme, actually it's in this hour it is, yeah, we're going to be going to West Cork to Ballymoney small little primary school two teacher school in Ballinine. they have produced the most amazing mural that they have erected on an, an outbuilding at the school. It is stunning. People may have seen it. It was doing the rounds certainly on social media yesterday. I spotted a good few posts about it on Facebook but yesterday a couple of people drew our attention to it so we took a, got a, took a look at it and said yeah this is a lovely little story particularly the fact that the children are breaking up for school holidays uh, today but it just shows how the power of when, when you get a group of children together and you ask them to be creative and you have a school and a te- and teachers who are thinking outside the box of thinking what can we get the children to do with everything that was going on with the pandemic and COVID and all of that and it is truly, truly stunning because it is bottle caps that they used. So I love the environmental aspect to this story as well. Bottle caps that would have ended up in the bin God knows how many of them would have ended up in landfill and instead they've gone to form this beautiful, beautiful mural. So we'll speak with Ballymoney National School, the principal there, uh, in a little, in, actually it's later on in this hour. Now I've had a text in this morning from John to say, Patricia, will the council wait for another fatal accident to happen before they cut the weeds and not the hedges? This is at Ballydarone Bridge. 
that's from John have, and, and I'm assuming anybody local to that area will know exactly what John is talking about Ballyderone Bridge John reckons something needs to be done about the hedges there and we had been speaking about Kenny's Cross outside Castle Lines we spoke about that during the week well I got a letter in from a listener to say that they regularly travel on that road because they travel from Castle Lines to go to work in Middleton every day so 100% in the letter supporting what we were talking about with Kenny's Cross but this listener also wants to highlight there's another cross on that on the Castle Lines to Middleton Road and it's O'Leary's Cross and this listener said something needs to be done about both of those crosses but also in their letter says why are the road ditches and the hedges not being cut anymore and of course we know that the government and the local authority Hands are tied when it comes to the cutting of hedges because there's a hedge cutting ban on at the moment. And this is done for very good reasons. It's done to protect the birds during the nesting season. It's under the Wildlife Act. Roadside hedge cutting is only permitted from the 1st of September through to the 1st of February. The law aims to protect and maintain wildlife diversity by establishing areas where birds in particular can thrive during nesting season and then it prohibits cutting, grubbing, burning our destruction of uh, vegetation. Now there are exceptions though to that piece of legislation such as works undertaken in the ordinary course of agriculture or forestry but also for public health and safety reasons and public health and safety reasons does include road safety. So if an area is highlighted and particularly you know what some of our listeners are telling us about like that particular I don't know I don't know um, this this area that John is talking about but Ballyderone Bridge he feels that the hedges need to be cut and you know you will hear from people who would will ring us and say there's an area where you can't initially get out onto the road you're nosing the car onto the road because you can't see what's coming because the hedges are so overgrown they're the kind of areas that need to be highlighted to, uh, to the council because they say under the Wildlife Act there's nobody going out cutting those hedges at the moment and there won't be we're into coming up to the end of June we have all of July and all of September. There's two more months of growth to get through before any of those hedges can officially be cut. So local people need to point them out to the council so that either the council themselves or the landowners will have responsibility, particularly if it is a road uh, safety uh, issue. 1850 We've been speaking about driver theory tests on the programme and the frustration uh, some listeners have had this week, particularly those that went to have their driver theory test done or drove their young son or daughter to have a driver theory test and some went great distances only to discover that the theory test had been uh, cancelled and some of our listeners are adamant that they didn't get the email on time or they didn't get the email even though yesterday somebody was saying check your spam folders because some people had made the journey to wherever the test centre was. I mean in one case a listener went from Cork to Athlone to discover that the theory test centre was locked up and when they got back they realised that they had actually been sent an email but they hadn't spotted it because it had gone into a spam folder. So for anybody going for any driver theory test I suggest you really really scrutinise your email and all of your email folders 
just to make sure that you haven't received an email cancelling your theory test because we are hearing from a number of people who've already well in advance been told that their driver theory test is going to be cancelled. So there was a lot of frustration around that this week. And then we did email in from a listener on a slightly different issue, but it is to do with a driving licence. Says, hi Patricia, I'm from McCroom. I recently tried to exchange my UK driver's licence to an Irish one. And of course we know because of Brexit, anyone on a UK driver's licence has to switch it over to an Irish one. Previous to Brexit, they were able to drive away on their UK driver's licence. Anyway, I followed all of the links on the website. I made the necessary appointment to go to the Trilly office to exchange my licence. Upon arrival at the Trilly office, I was asked for my eye test report and the results of my full medical. Nowhere on the website does it mention that these were needed. It was a waste of a journey and I'm wondering if any of your other listeners have experienced uh, this thanking you and that's from Martin very frustrated to have gone from Cork to Tralee thought he had all the I's dotted all the T's crossed to discover he needed a medical a full medical and uh, an eye test report it means having to go back get the eye test report and the full medical and Martin I don't know what efforts you've gone to at this stage to get that done because I know a lot of the GP practices because of COVID restrictions uh, were not doing any of those that those kind of tests for people. So I wish you luck uh, with it and hopefully you have got sorted. But then we'll have to make the necessary journey again to go back to Tralee to get his licence uh, changed over. It is, it is frustrating when you think you're doing everything right and then you discover when you get there that it was just a complete waste of a journey. Talking of journeys, and I don't think anybody who's planning on going away on a holiday will say that that was a waste of a journey. Air travel, according to the papers today, is set to take off in this country. Dublin Airport in particular, because the bulk of the flights will be going out from Dublin uh, Airport. They reckon 250 thousand passengers will pass through Dublin Airport every week once the international travel gets back up and running. The government is anticipating that Neffet will urge a delay on the reopening of the indoor hospitality next month. I think there's almost like an acceptance, isn't there, at this stage that we're not going to be reopening indoor hospitality on the 5th of July and that is devastating to people working within the industry. But the government is expecting that Neffet will sign off on holidays for vaccinated uh, people. Now, at European level, leaders yesterday are backed continuing the reopening of travel by again endorsing the new COVID travel certificates. And of course, the rest of Europe are looking at reopening and having the new COVID passports that they'll be in operation from the 1st of July. We're opting not to use them until the third week of July. I think it's the 19th of July we're looking at. So the EU very much pushing for international travel to get back up and running. But several EU leaders are sounding a note of caution, particularly about the potential impact of the Delta strain, because it isn't just that we're not the only country worried about the Delta strain. The Delta strain is taking off now at an alarming rate across all European countries. I know I saw the German Chancellor Angela Merkel she was very vocal about her frustrations over a lack of consistency in travel rules across the EU. She specifically criticised Portugal because Portugal had allowed British tourists to come into the country and of course what's happened since Portugal now has seen a high spike in numbers with the Delta variant because they realised they allowed the British to come in. The British was, Britain was the country that had the Delta variant and of course a number of them, not deliberately, but a number of them brought 
brought the Delta variant with them and now we're in a situation with those very high numbers in Portugal. So Angela Merkel was very critical of that. Our own Transport Minister Eamon Ryan remained confident though that rules around international travel will be relaxed as planned particularly he said for those who are vaccinated he said from July 19th the vast majority of people who are vaccinated coming in and going out will be able to travel uh, unimpeded the Department of the Taoiseach Public Expenditure and Reform as well as Health they're all working to ensure that the digital COVID certificate will be in place and will be rolled out by July the 19th and we still are awaiting on. From what I can gather, anything that I've read up about it people won't apply there. You will automatically be issued with your COVID, your digital COVID certificate because obviously the fact that you went either to a vaccination centre or you went through a GP, they have the records of who's been vaccinated and who, and who hasn't. So uh, they it would either be sent out electronically. Some people were talking about, it's been talking about going to smartphones, even though people were saying, well if you don't have a smartphone, I mean there certainly will be paper versions of this digital certificate as well. And then we were contacted yesterday and I said I would look into it. Uh, Dennis is 22 and he is from West Cork. Now he says he knows he and his friends certainly will not be vaccinated until at least uh, August. But he wants to travel in July. So he wanted us to see if we could find out if he has planning a trip in July will he be able to go into a HSC walk-in test centre to get his COVID test because if you're unvaccinated you're going to have to have a negative PCR test and he was saying in West Cork there is a West Cork there is one in Dunmanway isn't there there's a walk-in test centre so he was saying before he travels 72 hours before he travels can he just pop in there get his test done show that he's not please God, that he doesn't have COVID and then jump on his plane and off he goes. Well, the HSE has said it will not provide written PCR test results to allow people to travel when the EU digital cert is up and running. And this was Paul Reid, who I saw quoted on uh, this. He said people who are not vaccinated will need to go to private providers in order to get tested before they travel. He said the HSE will not be providing written results for persons due to undertake outbound travel. He said it's a separate process and it's not being distributed by the HSE. So, Dennis, you're going to have to go to one of the private operators. Now, yesterday when we were helping out one of our listeners whose son is having a procedure in Crumlin Children's Hospital next week and she needed to go for a private test and we were doing just a quick search while we were on air yesterday. Lots of places in Cork. I think at the airport, actually, as well, there's a facility to get your PCR test done and most of it is same is same day. Now, I wouldn't be suggesting if you're flying out at two o'clock in the afternoon that you'd head to the airport at 12 o'clock and go in and get your PCR test done. You're going to have to give more time than that. You're going to have to book a, an appointment. Uh, but Dennis, you're going to have to pay for your PCR test. I think what Dennis was hinting at, if he could go into the HSE walk-in test, COVID test centre, he wouldn't be charged for it and that it would be a free PCR R test. But that's not what the HSE test centres are there for. So you're going to have to pay for it. And then, of course, remember, Dennis, wherever you do decide to travel, you're also, again, before you travel, back, you're going to have to go and get another PCR test uh, done and keep your fingers crossed and hope on the return flight that your PCR test is negative because you will have to factor in if, God forbid, while you were away on holidays, you picked up COVID-19, you're then going to have to factor in. You won't be able to get back on the plane and you're going to have to do your quarantining in whatever country you decide to travel to. That could make it a very costly holiday indeed. 1850 333 103. 
Street. Barney's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The listener who we were trying to help out yesterday whose son has a procedure in Crumlin next Thursday needed to have a COVID test has just been back on to say Hi Patricia, just to let you know I got my son an appointment for a COVID uh, test. They're going to do it. He has cystic fibrosis. They're going to do it at the CF clinic in UL. But thank you for all your help. Well, delighted to hear that. And uh, please God, everything will go okay and particularly everything will go go okay with your um, procedure, your son's procedure next uh, week. Hi Trish, is it true, this is a, a, a different WhatsApp, is it true that if you're fully fa- vaccinated you can still catch COVID-19 but you just won't get it as badly? Would that mean you'd still be able to infect others? I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking that the restrictions should be kept for everyone. Yeah, there's no vaccine in the world will stop you get will stop you getting it but they say that if you do get it if you were unlucky enough to get it uh, it will be a very very mild you may not even know you have it you would have little or no symptoms but what what vaccines do is they protect you in the main they protect you from getting it but then if you do get it you're not going to get very sick you're not going to end up in hospital and most important one of all you're not going to die I mean that's what vaccines attempt uh, to do but the jury is out on people who have been fully vaccinated if they do test positive for COVID the jury is still out and the medics are still looking at at it as to how contagious you would be the latest article I read uh, on a medical journal was that they reckoned if you were fully vaccinated and you did pick up COVID-19 you'd have such a low viral load of it because obviously your antibodies would be kicking in and working straight away to fight off the COVID that they reckoned there would be it would be a very tiny chance of you passing it on to somebody else but there's still lots and lots of work and study uh, going on about it but then when you look to other countries that have a lot of people vaccinated it is looking like that once you're vaccinated if you did pick it up people are not passing it on I mean Israel is the the obvious country they're the kind of the country that was most ahead of all of the other countries when it came to uh, vaccinations but if anything else breaks on that it's something I'm certainly keeping a very close eye on um, uh, myself if I see anything else about it I certainly will bring it uh, to you. Hi Patricia what is the point of opening up travel to Ireland if there's no indoor hospitality open for them what will happen if a lot of tourists decide to come to this country it's certainly going to put huge huge pressure on outdoor on any of the outdoor hospitality that's going on at the moment now and a couple of questions in on driver's licence okay Joe in Dunmanway this is an answer for Martin I hope Martin went off to Tralee to exchange his UK driver's licence for an Irish one didn't realise when he got there that he needed to have an eyesight test and a full medical Joe says you need a medical if your existing UK driver's licence covers you to drive light goods goods, vehicles etc if it's just for a car a medical should be needed, says Joe Window Manway. The driver needs to look at his UK licence at the list of vehicles covered on it. And then staying on driver's licence, Mary Amalysis, says, hi Patricia, on my summer holidays, I'm not a teacher by the way, but I'll be listening to you for the summer. Good to have you along, Mary. Just a quick question regarding the driver's licence. My driving licence is out of date and when I looked online to check, it's extended until April of next year. Should I have got a letter saying same? Please, just wondering, thanking you. No, that extension was put in place for all driver's licence. They actually started it, I think it was back in March of last year, as soon as we hit into the first lockdown and the pandemic and we were 
you know, getting used to life with uh, COVID, they straight away started extending driver's license for both people on a full driver's license, but also people on a learner uh, permit. Uh, and then they've continued to do it this year. For example, anyone anyone whose driver's license was due to expire between the 1st of September 2020 and the 30th of June next week 2021 an extra 10 months is added onto your licence for example someone whose driver's licence is due to expire next Wednesday the 30th of June their new date would be the 30th of April of next year 2022 now the NDLS that's the National Driver's Licence Service say you do not need to do anything to avail of this extension as your driver record is automatically updated and a new driving licence or learner permit will not be issued to you so you do absolutely nothing at all. So no, there was no letters sent out. It's just when you check if you go into NDLS, there is an expiry date calculator that you can click on and you can put in the details of your driver's licence and it will tell you the new your new expiry date. So no, Mary, nothing to worry about. Drive away. You're, you're still, your licence is still okay if you were stopped by the guards for example and it was looked out of date they will know because it'll be on their database at all but no you, were, you weren't due to receive a letter 1850 Bernie taking your call Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 Now the preferred option for the long awaited Mallow Relief Road has been unveiled with a senior official working on the project saying it could be open to traffic by the end of twenty. 27. To talk further, I'm joined by local Labour uh, TD uh, Dáil Deputy Sean Sherlock. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and and you're welcome. Do you know how the preferred route was actually selected? Uh, well, there's a, a, a matrix uh, with a set of criteria uh, that they they crunch all of the, the options and it's, it's a, I suppose, a bunch of professional engineers uh, come around the table and they quite literally see uh, what they have a set of criteria. Uh, I don't know exactly what those criteria are, but I assume that the, the most important criteria is, well, what is the path of least resistance and what is the one that would allow for the greatest flow of traffic in as seamless a manner as possible. So I suppose the the option C route that they've devised, uh, as I understand it, will come from, uh, we'd say, the Limerick Roadside and right over then to, uh, we'd say, Bally Vinator. Uh, and you're, you're taking a route, a route that is well north of uh, where you have population settlements. So you're going well north of uh, the pre-existing railway line, the old railway line, we'd say, forgive me. And uh, I, I think the criteria there was such that you couldn't really put a relief road right into uh, an old railway line, which was the old, old route or the old option, if we recall that, mm. uh, and that you needed to try keep it away from uh, population bases okay. as much do, as you possibly could. And do the public now ha- can have a chance to have their say on this route? Well, well, there would have been a consultation process up to now where many people have already made their, uh, you know, feelings known in relation to route options. Now there is what they call a non-statutory process. But the emerging preferred route, which is the option C, uh, seems to be the one that that will most likely emerge as the option. Uh, But then there is still a long way to go before, uh, you know, we see this bearing fruit. And although... We've heard from senior officials that it could be, you know, 2027. Uh, I'm certainly optimistic about that. 
but it still is all dependent on government funding following suit. Yeah, that so was going it, to be my next question. Is the fund is the funding in place for no, this? Re- no, okay. The funding is in place for this part of the process where you move from you know where you, where you do the work with the uh, you know with, with the external uh, consultants and working with the you know internal council officials and the road engineers and so on. You go through a process where you you look at what the route options the preferred route options are. But then what you have to do is you've got to go to what they call design and environmental uh, evaluation. Then you have to go through what they call a statutory process. That's where you're 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 literally going for planning and you have to do your compulsory purchase orders. But what is not in place yet is a funding package for uh, that part of the process. But that's not unusual at this stage. It's not unusual no. at this stage. If I was to capture the mood around this project at the moment, I mean, I, I was the minister that got it put into the Capital Investment Programme in 2014 because I hounded Brendan Howland, who was Public Expenditure Minister at the time, to say, look, we're never going to get a relief road if we can't get it at least onto a, a, a statutory programme. So uh, at least it's on a programme now and it's in there as part of national policy. So that's good. And I think what you have now is a massive drive behind it from all politicians. Yeah, yeah. And, and, all and from anyone who lives or works or needs to to drive through Mallow. Everybody indeed. knows uh, the importance. The only, the one criticism I did see about this Route C was one of our local councillors, uh, Pat Hayes, uh, fearing that the route was too far outside the town and that some motorists might still feel that the quicker route would be to drive through the town. Would you have concerns there? I don't really, because I think that a lot of traffic uh, is localised traffic. And I also believe that uh, people who are moving from, we'd say, Killarney to Dublin will very easily uh, come in the roundabout uh, on what we call the navigation road for your non-Mallow listeners. Uh, You know, they'll they'll drive up to the next roundabout, they'll head up the Limerick Road and they'll, they'll cut across. And I think they'll be very happy to do that if they're heavy goods vehicles drivers in particular. And if you can take the heavy goods vehicles out of the town centre of Mallow, I think that will alleviate... Make a huge difference. Just that make, will make a massive make a difference. Huge difference. difference. And I was also interested to see that the new road is also going to include what they're calling an active travelway. That's right. In, under the public spending code now, uh, Patricia, where you have money being allocated possibly from the European Union or, you know, from our own resources here on the island of Ireland. You have to have what they call a public spending code, and that has to actively encourage active travel. So the the, the wonderful thing about this now is that there is, uh, you know, proposals within this proposal to have a, you know, cycle route along what they call the pre-existing railway line. And I think that's, that's, that's fantastic, because that now dovetails into the funding that was announced for feasibility for, you know, a uh, a cycle or a greenway between, say, Mallow and Dungarvan, mm. uh, taking in Formoy as well. So that's good for Formoy too. And I think, again, it goes back to what I'm saying is that there's an optimism now about ensuring that we can maximise whatever pre-existing routes that are there so that we can develop tourism, we can develop uh, you know, you know, the act of travel. I think the pandemic has has really brought that along. And I've never witnessed a time before where all of the politicians are working together. The council officials are are seem to be just the, 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 in the last number of years. I think there's just been a massive impetus. We've had some fresh. 
people being brought in, and that's important to refresh organisations as well. And in the RDO office, which is the regional roads office, I think you know there's been some changes there as well. And you're just seeing a kind of a people looking at things with a fresh pair of that's eyes, great. and I think that's that's. That all is, feeding into this. Okay, and just while we have you on, because I know I've spoken with you in the past before about driving licence and driver theory tests, and I don't know if you had a chance to listen to any of the programme this week and the problems some of our listeners had with cancelled driver theory tests. People driving up to Clonmel last Tuesday to discover that the centre was closed. Somebody else went out loan and the centre was closed. And there seemed to have been, some say that they didn't get emails, others said the emails ended up in their spam, uh, that they didn't see that the test had been uh, cancelled. But to hear the RSA say that the reason that they cancelled the 75 tests last Tuesday in Clonmel was because they hit their monthly limit. It sounds like bureaucracy gone mad. It is bureaucracy gone mad. And, and we have, put in further uh, parliamentary questions uh, in respect of uh, the driver theory test because, you know, uh, we had done a lot of work on this. We hadn't been receiving a whole pile of emails in the last number of weeks because, you know, we felt, okay, that's a sign then that things are starting to work again. But But in the last number of days, we've seen some traffic by email from people who are who find themselves in that cir- those set of circumstances. So what we've done now is we've gone back to uh, the RSA via the parliamentary question route to see what the real-time analysis is in respect of people awaiting the driver theory test. But, but the number of people who are waiting uh, is not going down at a rate that for the driver test now is not going down at a rate that we would, you know, think that, you know, is, is commensurate with the amount of effort that has been put in by the RSA. We'd need to see the waiting times coming down uh, a lot more as well. So that's something that we're actively working on on a day-to-day basis. I'm just trying to see here if I have a number, for, for instance, in relation to Cork, but uh, in, in we still have uh, for instance, in Mallow, like there's about 57 people waiting uh, at, at present. Uh, if my figures are accurate here, we need to interpret those figures. They've literally just come in this morning, so I haven't had a chance to, to okay. go through them. But what we'll be doing is we'll be measuring the figures that we received, uh, say, a month ago uh, versus the figures that are Just to see uh, our tests being done. And, okay. and, and if we're seeing that they're not coming down, both on the driver theory and on the driver test, you know, we'll continue okay, to interrogate. It is, it is frustrating. OK, we'll leave it there, Sean. Thank you for that. And thank thanks you, for Tricia. joining us on the programme that is uh, Labour Dole, Dole Deputy for, for Cork East, uh, Sean Sherlock. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 Now with many schools breaking up for the summer holidays this week, our attention was drawn to a small rural two-teacher school in Ballinine in West Cork who decided to not let the pandemic stop their creative spirit to discuss what is a stunning mural which has been erected on the back of the school shelter in uh, Ballinine is the principal of Ballymoney National School and that is Shireen Roundtree. Good morning to you Shireen. Good morning Patricia, uh, thanks for having us on. Well listen, you're, you're very welcome. It is truly stunning and I know we had it up on our uh, social media yesterday and I saw loads of people have shared it on uh, social media. Who came up with the concept for it? Uh, I had seen a mural during my holidays last year and I suppose I was trying to come up with an idea that we could do with all the children together. They couldn't go on school tours. We couldn't have external um, sports coaches coming in. The 
you weren't even allowed to sing. Um, so we had to come up with something fun that they'd be able to work on this year. And with the two classrooms being completely separated, different doors, different break times, we wanted something that they could all work on collaboratively, just so that they'd feel connected to each other. Now, there's an environmental aspect to this because it's plastic bottle tops. I mean, I've only seen it on a picture. I want to drive to Ballymoney National School to actually physically see this mural because it is so stunning. Just explain how how you did it and how how you put it together. Yeah, so it's made up of 12,400 plastic bottle tops. We got six sheets of 8x4 plywood and we have a very talented teacher, Esther Quinn, here and she drew the picture of the mural. We're on the banks of the River Bandon so we use that as our uh, influence and there's a bridge and heron and swans, all the things that we can see from our playground. She drew it out and then the children painted it in and that took about two afternoons and then it was just a matter of sticking the right colour bottle top onto the painted picture um, so the, the children were able to do that themselves and they used PVA glue to stick it the only problem was that wasn't going to last long term so um, we have then put a screw into each bottle top to keep it in place oh. uh, Yeah, so, so that's actually which took the longer bit we, um, we were really lucky that we had great parents who got on board um, 6,000 were in place and uh, I got a delivery of 6,400 schools last Thursday and sent a text out saying they've arrived. Is anyone free to help? It would be great if we could get it finished by next week. And by Tuesday, it was up in the wall. So what, all the parents showed up with screwdrivers and drills? Uh, one at a time because they couldn't they couldn't work together. It was next oh. door in the parish hall. So yeah, we had a rota and even over the weekend, they came in and the teachers helped out and... That's unreal. That, many it's hands un, yeah, absolutely many hands make like work and it just shows when a, when a community can come together and I love, I didn't realise that so many parents were involved. I love the idea from the children's point of view that they were involved and that their family members were, were involved. And the, and the one thing it also, I believe, did, Shireen, was it gave the children the chance to sit and chat as they stuck the bottle tops on. Yes, so we stuck them on. We were intended to do it in January, but of course the schools were closed. So the junior classroom came back in March and they started sticking the bottle tops in place. And the senior classroom were at home learning on Zoom. So every day we got an updated uh, photograph of what they'd done and uh, showed it to the seniors. And then when the senior classroom came back, we finished it off. And because it was made up of six different sheets of plywood, they were all spread out, sitting in groups, just chatting to each other uh, as they stuck it on. It took maybe 20 minutes a day for uh, two weeks and yeah. then it was finished. Yeah, and and that would just be, t- I, I love the, I could picture that in my mind, that the children sitting there and just chatting away. And of course, for many of them, they hadn't seen each other for, for many months. And just a lovely, lovely way to, to catch up and to be busy sticking on yeah, all, the, was, all the bottle tops. And the bottle tops came in from the local community. Yeah, so we are a small school. We only have 29 pupils. So there was no way we were going to be able to collect enough bottle tops. So we put a sign up on our local Facebook page in Balmain and Enniskine saying we were collecting them. We left a bin outside our front gate and loads of people collected them. Uh, I remember the first lady arriving with a sack of bottle tops from Dunmanway 
and um, that was what kept us amused on rainy days when we couldn't go outside. We went out to the shelter and we sorted them out into their colours. So you, there's no way we could have done it without the support of the community. So every kind of like your milk cartons, your fizzy drinks, all those tops. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, the milk ones were great for the green, red, blue and yellow. But yeah. we, we, there were other colours we needed like pinks and purples and blacks and greys. And um, so anything that was made of plastic and we have different sized ones on us. And did you struggle for any particular colour when you were getting to put the mural together? We did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sod's law. <laughs> yeah, we, we have um, the, the bridge in Bowning uh, features in the mural and uh, it's grey. Oh. So grey was the colour we were short of. So we, we, we ha- ran short of those and in the end we had to spray some of the other colours well just for the grey ones. Well done, there's, there's always a way, a way around it. Um, what has been the reaction locally? Well, we put up a notice on the Facebook page of Bonnie and Ennestine on Tuesday night just saying thank you to the local community. We couldn't have done it without you. Um, we hope, you know, we hope you smile when you see what we've done with your rubbish. And then the next morning the phone just started ringing and ringing. Um, yeah, so the children are really, really proud. I'm delighted that they got to see the reaction um, yeah. before they finish up. They get their holidays today, so the school has just been buzzing all week. And it will be there for future generations and it will be a great reminder of a time when we won't like to particularly remember some of it, but it will be something there that will be linked to this time for, you know, for a long, long time to come. Absolutely. It's made out of plastic, so it should be durable. And with all those screws in place, we are hoping it'll last for a long time. Yeah, and it keeps them out of going into landfill or ending up in the sea or ending up causing problems to to other yeah. animals, which God knows we, we know uh, enough about that. OK, so school's out for, for, for summer. Uh, Shireen, enjoy it and... Uh, Best wishes to all of the children, all 29 children in the school. It's a two teacher, so is it just yourself and and Esther Quinn? Esther Quinn is our, our terminal resource teacher. So we okay. have um, two class teachers and um, resource teachers. OK, so give, give the teachers a name. Give the, give uh, Amanda Sullivan <laughs> is in the junior classroom. I'm sure they're listening up in school. Hi, Amanda. And, <laughs> Miss uh, Lisa Hawkins and Esther Quinn are two resource teachers. OK, well, hi to all of the teachers and to all of the children. Have a fantastic summer, uh, Shireen. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. Thanks very much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, Shireen Roundtree there, who is the principal of Ballymoney National School. If you are in the West Cork area, keep a lookout for that stunning, absolutely stunning mural. And once again, well done to all of the children involved in the school for putting it together and to that very, very creative teacher, Esther Quinn. 1850 Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 We don't normally call out missing dogs because if we did, we'd be here all day every day giving a shout out to missing dogs and I do appreciate and understand when people get utterly heartbroken when a much loved dog goes missing but it always pulls at my heartstrings when I hear that it's a very elderly dog that's gone missing and it sounds like this dog has just gone missing and it's got a little bit disorientated almost a listener has been on to say it's an elderly collie stroke lurcher miss mixed dog and they were out for a walk in the forestry in the 
Clown Dine area in Buing. I take it anybody in the Buing area will know exactly the area of the forestry that we're talking about. And the dog went missing. Now, the dog was originally a black colour, but now as it's getting older, it's starting to go grey. And I can almost picture, particularly lurcher type dogs, very black lurcher type dogs, and they take on this greyness about them as they are ageing. And as this dog has aged, she's also a little bit deaf. So obviously when the owner was frantically trying to call the dog, the dog wouldn't have heard the uh, owner and when the dog went missing yesterday it was wearing a cloth collar. So if anybody's out walking in that forestry area Clown Dine in Bwing would you keep a look out please for that black going grey dog and if you can manage to and imagine a very placid dog if you can manage manage to hold on to it and then call the lady at the end of this number who really would love to get her dog back 086-82-89263 if you can help us with that and then the mum of the son who was going for a driver theory test in Clonmel yesterday has made contact uh, with us. She had originally made contact with us the day before on uh, Wednesday when we were talking about what had happened with the Clonmel driver theory test centre not being opened and all 75 driver theory tests cancelled on a Tuesday and she was afraid well we're going up there on Thursday you know am I wasting my time is my son wasting his time he's booked a half day off work for example so yesterday morning then we were frantically trying to see were the tests going ahead yesterday and then we found out that they were so we were in contact with this lady saying off you go to Clonmel and the best of luck to your young lad well she's been back this morning to say we made it to Clonmel yesterday all went great I must say she said Clonmel is an absolute credit to the town what a beautiful place I really enjoyed it. The shops, the people... It was so clean, gorgeous atmosphere. Oh my God, it was beautiful. And uh, goes on to wish us a great weekend. Of course, then I text her back straight away saying, did your son pass? And he did indeed, which is, which is great, terrific. And good to know that she had a nice day out at the same time. I'm, I'm saying that to people as well. We certainly were saying it when the rollout of the vaccine started and people had to go outside of the county to go and get a vaccination. And now we're seeing it where people with driver theory tests, they have to go, some people going very long distance. Rather than bemoan the fact that you have to travel, try and make a day out of it and to you know make it a little bit of an enjoyable experience which is looks like exactly what our listener did uh, here but good to know the icing on the cake was her son passed his driving uh theory test and now he's on the road and the long wait to get a driving date for a driving test date will be his next battle and thank you to a couple of people who've been on to us asking me have I seen uh, this month's edition of the Band in Opinion which the July edition which lo and behold would you believe arrived in the post today and one listener has actually sent on a photograph from it to say that I've made <laughs> my, my picture is in this month's edition of the Band in Opinion now I'm not one of the beautiful girls on the front page or anything like that you'll have to go right to the back of the book to the archives to 30 years ago and there I am sitting in the middle of a picture with two lovely gentlemen who I read are Jack and Dick Busteed and it was the Bandon Music Festival and 30 years ago on the 7th of June 1991 I had the honour of performing the official opening of the Bandon Music Festival and I'm pictured with Jack and Dick Busteed who enjoyed the music festival despite unfavourable weather for the outdoor attractions and I'm pictured in the middle of the two brothers and I do you know something I can remember that photograph uh, vividly because when I, I, do, I can't remember now who took the picture but when somebody said I'll take a picture of you there with the two lads and I picked up either Jack or Dick I'm not sure I picked up 
their pint and I'm holding their pint in my hand and the slagging I got about me drinking the pint when I was at an official opening of, of an event and how I know it wasn't I wasn't drinking the pint was it's a pint of Guinness and I have never drank Guinness I've tried over the years to get to like the taste of Guinness and it's just one of those drinks I just can't I don't know people said put black currant into it I can't and just and I think it looks lovely I think a pint of Guinness is nothing like a really gorgeous pulled pint of Guinness and it looks lovely in the glass but I just can't bear the taste of it and I've tried all the others the Beamishes everything else the stout just doesn't agree with me so that's how I know that it wasn't my pint but it's such a lovely fun uh, photograph and uh, thank you to the band and opinion for including me in the archives in this month's edition 1850 what else is coming into us oh this is on a medical card Liz says uh, Patricia, I applied to renew my medical card. I got a text to say that they got it, obviously received all of the information, but I've heard nothing since and I've no card and that's since May. Do you know, are there delays? And if so, what are the delays? I, do you know what I reckon it is? The cyber attack on the HSE's IT system has caused uh, disruption to the services. And I know because of that, for example, you can't renew your medical card online because there used to be always a facility to be able to do it online. So it's only by post. So I am assuming it is because of the IT systems, because if you applied in May and it was in May, because I know I went for my first vaccine on the 15th of May and it was the week before that that the HSE cyber attack had had hit. Now it's slowly but surely things are coming back online but there's still parts of the HSE are still affected by the cyber attack so I'm assuming that that is possibly the reason why Liz you haven't heard anything yet because I know for example if you on the renewal of a medical card if you're no longer eligible for the medical card then they straight away assess you for a GP visit card but they write to you to tell you the outcome if you are no longer eligible for the medical card and if you're moving on to say a GP visit card so the fact that you haven't received a letter I'm assuming everything is okay with the medical card there's just a delay with issuing it because of the IT system so I'd give them another little while and just wait and see and perhaps give it another month and if you haven't heard then maybe make contact with them. I'm slow to tell you now. In normal times, I would have been saying, get on to them, bring them straight away, see what's going on. But because of what's gone on with the IT system and when I checked on the hse.ie under their medical card section, they have a piece at the end saying that the cyber attack has caused some disruption. Um, and so therefore it is causing delays. So I'm sure that that's all it is. And possibly there are other people listening as well who are in the same boat, just waiting for the HSE to get back on with their, me- with their medical card. But if something was, you were no longer eligible which obviously I take it by the tone of your text nothing has changed for you financially so you're just expecting to have your card renewed 1850-333-103 and John this is what I mentioned about hedgerows not being cut and we were talking about legally because of the Wildlife Act they can't be cut at the moment and that's in place from the 1st of September to the end of February that's the only time that roadside hedges can be cut now if there's a public health and safety reasons which include 
includes road safety, then they are the exceptions to the legislation. John is saying he feels that the council have a great excuse for not cutting grass where he lives in Carrigaline. He said it's long, ugly grass. They say it's been used for the birds and the bees. What did the birds and the bees do for the last 50 years when that grass was always cut? Who gave planning permission to build up Carrigaline with concrete? It's a bit late for the birds and the bees. Well, I know all of the gardening experts and all of the environmentalists and our own Peter Dowder would be in on this are always encouraging people to try to leave a section of their garden and don't cut the grass is one of the things that they say and it's I don't necessarily know about the birds but it's certainly there for the bees and for for pollination and I've left you know I've a a typical front lawn it's just a square front lawn and then you park the car in between and then there's a little bit down the side I've deliberately left that uncut now what you're describing is ugly long grass John that's exactly what's going on in that small section of my garden but I'm deliberately leaving it and the more and there's, there's obviously wild plants growing up and weeds growing up and the more I look at it I can see it's often a hive of activity for bees so it is important for bees so I I don't necessarily think the council are using it as an excuse they are probably doing it for an environmental reason and we have to look after the bees because we know how important they are 1850 333 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Oak Lodge Nursing Home that's in Cloyne they're recruiting across all of their departments they've got vacancies for example in their admin section kitchen housekeeping and nursing staff a fisher mechanic is wanted that's for work in the Mallow area while window and door fitters are required it's for work in the Charleville and Mallow areas and Matt Flow Engineering that's based in Mallow they're offering apprenticeships in metal fabrication and metal maintenance fitting. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Four out of five business leaders are expecting resistance from workers in going back to the office when COVID-19 restrictions are lifted. To discuss a nationwide survey from the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. I'm joined by their Chief Executive, Michael Cavanagh. Good morning to you, Michael. Morning, Patricia. And Good to talk to you. Well, and thank you for taking our call. Now, 80% of those businesses that you surveyed say... Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. They're predicting widespread reluctance from their employees. Did they give the reasons why? Uh, They did, yeah. Um, It's a mixture of of employees being happy with working from home, uh, coming in around 43%, and a wariness of returning to the office, um, which was high enough at 37%, um, which is a variable, I guess, that that may change over time as people are vaccinated. Um, I certainly got the second vaccine yesterday, so... uh, Are you feeling okay today? I'm feeling better than I was before I went into the practice. Well done, so. well done. Um, will, do you think some businesses will be prepared to offer long-term remote working, therefore? I think they will. Um, I think that's, that's what we're hearing from uh, most of our members, and that that will be the norm going forward. Um, I mean, we had, in that survey, 81% of employees expecting a hybrid model in the future, and remarkably low, only 4% expecting to return to the office full-time. Goodness, goodness, that's really low because there, but, but there are some employees who can't wait to get back into the office. I mean, yep. working from home doesn't suit everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why I thought, to be, to be honest, uh, 43% um, was, was, was high from that point of view that uh, they were happy working from home. Certainly, yes. Uh, I think it's a growing number of people that are, are anxious to get back to the office in some shape or form. And I think that's where the hybrid model comes in. Um, that I think people going back to the office full-time uh, is not something that attracts them. Um, I think the buzzword is flexibility and the work-life balance uh, aspects of it. Um, yeah, this, this blended, this hybrid, uh, as, as you say, going forward. So it'll be, what, some days at home and some days in the office? Uh, yes, effectively. And look, again, this is filled out by people looking from the employee perspective, but... These are compliance uh, professionals um, that are running compliance teams and, and compliance functions, mainly in the financial services sector. So they're looking at it from the employer point of view as well. Um, and 86% of them are saying that uh, their organizations are making preparations for the long-term transition to remote working. Uh, and indeed, uh, fairly high, 65% already have made preparations for, for, for that. So it certainly seems to be the future. Yeah, and we know we have, I mean, there's been, there's been talk for quite some time that, that going back to work in the office will be September. But then, of course, we've Leo Varadkar thrown a spanner in the work saying he thinks it could be as early as August. But I yep. take it for the majority of businesses, it, it probably won't be as simple as just switching on the light and saying everybody back in. Absolutely not, no. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of work involved. And um, I haven't come across, I have to confess, anyone who, who, who received notification um, uh of, of a definitive plan, notwithstanding that 65% are making preparations. I, I don't think that's been communicated yet to the employee. And I think that's understandable, as you said, once we get some uh, visibility as to when, when when it's safe to do so and when this might happen. But to, to get back to your question, Patricia, I mean, there's processes that need to be put in place. Um, there's procedures. Uh, you know, up to now, um, yeah, we have been in a, an emergency pandemic-type situation, but if we're putting in long-term plans for remote working, you know, there's there's home working assessments to be carried out. Um, uh, we've seen evidence of, uh, I've been talking to a few few members who've said,
um, and not having the proper working environment in their home. And all of that will need to be sorted out um, in the long term. Yeah, and we spoke with an employment lawyer a few weeks ago on this very issue. And, you know, he was discussing the legalities around an employer, for example, can't ask an employee, are you vaccinated? Or they they can ask, but the employee doesn't have to say if they are or not. Can you see complications arising if you're in a big open plan office and some are vaccinated and some are not vaccinated? Yes, um, you know, again, this is something that employers are beginning to grapple with. You're perfectly right. The legal advice is that uh, seems to be that you cannot um, require or request even um, that information. And a lot of that is around the GDPR and GDPR rules. And we, we did a separate survey on that because a lot of our members would be GDPR experts. Um, so you're looking at what we have at the moment with the social distancing uh, rules and the procedures and the sanitizers, uh, which is there at the moment in, in, in all offices. But now if you're going to have... Uh, a number or vast numbers of people coming back to work or requiring them to do so on a hybrid model. Um, and you, you literally are talking about the physical layout of the office and the, the need to keep two metre distances and putting rotors in place when employees are coming in and when they're not coming in. So a lot of work to be done, a lot of work to be done by um, large employers, but small employers as well. Yeah, and some employ some workers were saying that they're not going to be comfortable going into an office with somebody who isn't vaccinated. You yep. know, will you have them saying, well, I want to remain working from home? Uh, yes, you, you absolutely could. And um, they want to know who is and who isn't vaccinated. As, as we've discovered, um, that's information that the employer will not be able to obtain, it looks like. Um, now, this is evolving, but that certainly is the current advice that the employer will not be able to obtain that and therefore will not be able to tell other employees who has and who hasn't been vaccinated. So, um, yes, there's plenty of things to be ironed out. Um, I know there's discussions with many employers, but people are looking for guidance. They're looking yeah. for guidance around this uh, from, from government. Um, and indeed, as, as we've discovered, uh, a high proportion of people looking for guidance from the Data Protection Commissioner around the whole uh, GDPR issues um, around trying to ask for this information or what you can and can't do. Yeah, and that guidance will have to come in plenty of time before an official, you know, reopening of society and back into the office. Because, you know, as I said, you can't just flick a light switch and say everybody's back in. It will take time. Absolutely. Yeah, it will. Yeah. Um, but I suppose key message is if people aren't uh, discussing this already and employers aren't, they need to, yeah. need to start. Before the pandemic, uh, Michael, did we have many people working from home? Did we have a tradition of it in this country? Not really. Um, uh, you know, I certainly work from home the odd time, especially if you're going to the airport to fly somewhere. But uh, it, the culture didn't exist. Um, uh, there certainly were a number of people that did. But, you know, even from our perspective and, uh, and the way this has changed and the way society has changed, uh, even on the education front, because we, we provide, um, well, actually the largest uh, global suite of education and professional development uh, offerings for compliance professionals, we, we literally uh, had people flying up from Kerry to sit in a lecture theatre uh, every weekend uh, and all of that. That's just, and that was only two or three years ago. That's a thing of the past. Everything is online now. Uh, now I know that's, that's a different issue. It's the same yeah. type of, 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 of uh, um, area. And, you know, you just, there's almost a culture of if you weren't in the office and you weren't seen to be working, you weren't working even if you were at home and um, doing more than those that were in the office. So it's, it's, 
a cultural shift. Yeah, and I think most businesses have seen that productivity hasn't suffered. And, and this would even be businesses that perhaps in one time would have been dead against anybody working from home. But I think most businesses have realised, you know, productivity isn't, hasn't suffered because somebody is working at home. That certainly seems to be uh, the evidence that's out there at the moment. Um, now you're always going to get, uh, unfortunately, people who take advantage of certain yeah, situations. Yeah. You know, you're going to have that, but it seems to be the exception rather than the norm. Okay, Marion, one of our listeners says, I can't wait for my husband to go back to work. The problem in our house is he never switches off. He's overworking. Well, yeah, yeah, there is that. Yeah, and I found that myself, that you literally are going from uh, seven in the morning until, until midnight because, uh, uh, and and uh, I come into the office and I take a lunch break for some reason at home. Yeah. <laughs> you don't tend to, you just yeah, know, email, yeah. emails are piling up and I have it at my desk, you know, so yeah, it, 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 it's strange, but it's true. Yeah. And then if if there is this big shift uh, to more people working from home and this hybrid way of working, what are the pros and cons for society, Michael, for having more people working at home? Yeah, well, I suppose one of the cons and one of the, clearly the evidence you see and I see here in Dublin and also in, in Cork City is your city centre is suffering um, and, and those vast office uh, areas um are not going to be as popular as they were. But the obvious advantage is, I mean, it was Patricia down in um, Bear Island uh, two weeks ago in West Cork um, and talking to somebody who's hoping to relocate to Bear Island oh. and uh, work in Cork City um, uh, and work remotely and they have to go to the office one or two days a week. So, I mean, that's fantastic for a local community, uh, yeah. especially the school that is, uh, I won't say struggled, but it's, it's doesn't have huge numbers in, in the primary school there. Um, so that really is the advantage. I mean, wouldn't it be great? I, I think of my uh, uncle and aunt who left um, West Cork many, many years ago to go to America. Wouldn't it have been a fantastic option to say you can stay there and, and open up a thing called a laptop and remote access yeah, in to work? Um, I mean, it, it really is a game changer. It, it really is incredible. And I mean, you've got even sort of, you know, towns and villages, even suburbs of the city. They all saw the knock on of having people working from home because suddenly their shops were busier and there when the coffee shops, well, they're back open now, but, you know, people were going locally to get the cup of coffee, the people who would have been. But as you say, the downside then is the city centre. Yes. Yeah. Has it's, suffered. It's, yeah. It's pros and cons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. The local the local coffee shop uh, certainly has um, and, uh Boom, business has been booming, but not the, the converse of that is the city centre um, areas. I mean, I, I'm in Fitzwilliam Square here in, in Dublin, um, and they're back open for business, and the shops are open for business, but they shut at lunchtime. Yeah, goodness, yeah. goodness, how different that, how different that, that is now. Yeah. Okay, so there is, it. you know, the back to the office will happen at, at some stage, but direction really is what's needed from, to, from the government. Okay, listen, Michael, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. Dad, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning. Thank you very much. Good Thank morning you. to you. Bye bye. That is Michael Kavanagh, who is the chief executive of the Association of Compliance Officers uh, in Ireland about the return to uh, work. And I don't know uh, how many people are listening to us at the moment who are working from home and have been working at home since the start of the pandemic as to how you actually feel about uh, returning to the office. Is it something you very much can't wait to do? Are, are you in that group of people who you've been really enjoying? working from home and that you've managed to get the work-life balance. I think it's, you know, Marion talking about her husband not being able to switch off. I mean, that that's one of, the, I think, the real downsides to working from home. It's like there's no official 
I start work, I finish work. And I also think certainly at the start of people working from home, I think uh, people have a tendency to overcompensate. They feel because they're working from home, they need to do the little bit extra. They need to make sure that the productivity rate is even higher than what it was at the, uh, at the office. So I think when we do end up being officially the government say yeah it's okay to no longer work from home it's officially the right time to go back to working uh, in the office and this blended or this hybrid way of working of days in the office and days at home I think people are going to have to learn to get that balance right because if one of the advantages is getting a better work-life balance is from working from home then you have to be able to do that you have to be able to know when to switch off and when to stop checking your emails and when to you know not answer emails I think that's going to be really really vitally important going forward forward. 1850 Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 And a couple of texts in about that survey that we discussed on four out of five Irish business leaders expecting resistance from their workers when they dare to suggest that you're no longer working from home, you can come back into the office. Teresa says, Patricia, I absolutely love working from home. I have a much better work-life balance because of it. And one of the real pluses is there's no office politics. That's a real plus that we didn't discuss when I was talking with Michael Kavanagh. And a West Cork listener says my husband has told his manager he has no intention of going back to the office. His commute is now five minutes down the stairs instead of 40 minutes. (laughs) That's my West Cork listener. Thank you for that. 1850-333-103. Now we are now continuing with our new Friday feature where we come up with suggestions for people to go on a family day out either as part of your staycation or just a day trip. Joining me this morning to discuss one of the largest and most complex cave systems in Ireland is John English, who is owner of the Mitchestown Caves. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. Well, listen, it's a real pleasure. History lesson first. When and how were the caves discovered? Um, it was discovered in 1833 by a local man named Michael Condon. And uh, he was quarrying limestone and he lost a crowbar, fell through a crevice. And he removed a few borders, and he found a network of passages about two miles long. So um, our family, then we lived at the farmhouse just below the entrance in 1833. So visitors started coming, so we decided to do guided tours. And, and, and literally from day one? 190 years yeah. this year. And um, that continued. My grandmother used to bring him down by uh, oil lamps until about the 1970s. Um, my father, Jackie English, did. to make access easier, he decided to develop it okay. in the mid-60s. So they, with the help of his friends, they put all the concrete down for the footpaths by bucket my. and to install electric lines. So the first cave in Ireland then developed for the public. And that, it was in the early 70s that they got the electricity? Like- so 50 years ago. And over the years, John, has a lot of studies been done on the caves? Oh, we had. We'd, like in caving, we'd probably have all the top cavers from all over Europe. Originally, it was English and French explorers. The most famous Irishman we had was J.C. Coleman. He was from Cork. And he published widely. It's only in recent years now he's been recognised. And uh, he passed away in 1972 when my father called the first cavern in the cave. Coleman's gallery after him. Ah, ah that's he, really He was from Cork City, yeah. He, he was cyclop, I think. Oh. Cork. 
<laughs> You're talking about such a different era. And I, d- I discovered the new word yesterday, speediology. Yeah, that's the study of caves. That's the scientific name for it. Yeah. And a speediologist is a person who studies caves. Now, I was, I think, I, the last time I was down the Mitchellstown Caves, and when I was doing the research on it yesterday, I just got a hankering and said, I've got to go back there again. It would have been back in the early 80s. And in those days, pre-internet and all of that, you knocked on the farmhouse door to get to, to, to get access. How how do you operate now? Do people Still book the tickets? Same. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> people get a shock when you come here. The valleys here are so flat. And you still, we live at the house. You still come into our family home and you get your tickets. And we said we'd never commercialise it. No shops or souvenir shops, nothing like that. And I think people like it like that too, mm. you know, yeah. And the temperature, of course, it remains constant, doesn't it, all year round? It never changed, 12 degrees. So you go down the summer, like today now, you'd find it cool. And the winter didn't is nice and warm. So it's, it's ideal for wine or cheese, anything like that. It's perfect. A lot of kids in France now, they store wine inside them. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's for people who haven't been down the Mitchestown Caves, um, John, it, it, it's hard to describe, but there's absolute stunning beauty down the what caves. Is, yeah, textbook formations. Like um, once you enter for the first 20 metres, you don't see much. And it opens up into huge chambers. And we have the largest column, you know, a stalactite and stalagmite have giant, that's nine metres high, that's the last chamber. And the last cavern in the cave, it's about, it's hard to describe, it's about 150 feet wide and about 60 feet high. And it's in there we hold all the concerts, we hold concerts there every year. And are you ever nervous when you go down there, John? No. No. It would stood there quakes for millions of years. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's completely steep. And then it's a natural arch. That's the way caves form. So they don't let. And you so. mentioned the concerts because, of course, the acoustics are incredible. Yeah. yeah. You don't need any microphones. You know, and um, it was Cork Opera House now. They would have organised a lot of concerts down here over the years. And um, like the most recent ones now with um, Gavin James, Lyra. James Vincent McMorrow, they've the most famous ones recently. Have you had orchestras go down there? Yeah, we had um, a lot of local ones, like Clamel Chorus Societies and all, they had a lot. But the problem is we can't use violins, the humidity. What, it would damage, oh, the violin they won't swell, play. They, they swell up, yeah. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of that. And of course, when you decide to do, like I'm, I'm thinking if an orchestra went down, getting all the equipment, getting all the instruments down, is that tricky? It, won't be, it takes about a day to set up a concert. Would it's it, all yeah, season, yeah. yeah. And everything has to be brought in. Um, we had an episode of Vikings there last year. Filmed? Be, filmed. And they brought down one piece of equipment in ninety pieces and it's a really blow <laughs> <laughs> it's showing how, how good your caves are that they were, they were making sure they wanted to fill them down there exactly yeah Come here, so I read yesterday and this was something I was unaware of there's a lake deep in down, the caves down deep yeah tell me about the lake it's not open to the public and it's the only legend from the cave that at some stage a piper crossed the lake and he got so engrossed in his music that he never returned and the legend is if you cross that lake, you're never to come back. And that's the only story we have 
of a legend down there. Oh, and, and nobody dares cross the lake. But I crossed it. it. Have you? You're uh-huh, a brave yeah. man. Uh, but it's not. It's it's not open to the public because is, no, is it not. is it just too dangerous or the access? Um, oh, we've a half mile open the cave, and there's about two more miles not developed. And when did you cross it? Um, during lockdown. And were you a bit? Sp- were you a bit spooked? I, I wouldn't be nervous. We were down there since we were children. Oh, we and they say that some visitors still imagine that they can hear music coming from the distance. That's the story, yeah. Have, have you? You hear <laughs> stories, people would hear voices or noise. But I've never, myself personally, I've never any scary situations down there. Okay. And Camille, tell us, how did you get on during COVID? Did you, I, I'm assuming you had to close, did you? Close last October and we're mm-hmm. open now two weeks. So it's a, a steady flow, you know, like a it's all by bookings now, so to the big chain. Before you could arrive in, you got your tour, but now it's all pre-booked yeah. and limited numbers. Like, um, there's all social distancing now. I have it lined out for two metres and up to four metres apart, but way smaller groups. Yeah, yeah, that's, and hopefully, should listen, we're, we're getting out of this pandemic, so hopefully that will pass. Because you would have been, you would have been very popular for school tours. All schools, yeah, we're only 40 minutes from Cork. Yeah. All the schools in Cork City, especially the geography class, the secondary schools. But they're an they're, hour from Waterford, an hour from Kilkenny. So we had no schools this year. Ah, that's a real pity. That's a real pity. And children would absolutely adore the door going going down the case. But please God, uh, next year. So if people want to go now, they need to book. How do, do they book over the phone or do they book over online the over the phone? Yeah, that's these so we can regulate the numbers. So just go onto our website and you'll see the telephone number and Okay, and and, yeah. pe- and people can book there. And just to let people know, even though they're called the Mitchellstown Caves, because I've had more people I've sent to the Mitchellstown Caves and they got lost. You're actually in Tipperary. We are, and you come through about a mile of Limerick as well. So <laughs> it was the nearest town, Mitchellstown was the nearest town, which was found in 1833. So the name stuck. Ah, that explains it. That, that explains, explains it. it yeah. And it's on the old care to Mitchellstown Road, is it? Yeah. You can turn turn off that way as well. Okay, listen, it's it, it's fantastic and you're keeping it in the family, uh, John, and you've no intentions of... Because obviously, how do you... If, if you Does the house go with the caves if you ever sold on the house? Is that what would happen? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. <laughs> I have two young fellas here now, so hopefully they'll be interested in we. We won't have to worry about that for a while. Yeah, you know. I'll keep it going, keep it going. It's, it really is stunning and it's fantastic for, for a day trip out. Listen, John, a real pleasure talking to you. Thank Thanks you for a million. that. Sorry. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye. Uh, John English there, the owner of the Mitchellstown Caves as part of our suggestion if you want to go away on a day trip. and bring. I know last week when we were talking about the Model Railway Village, I was saying, you know, one that from the very young to granny. Don't know if I'd quite be bringing granny down uh, the Mitchellstown Caves because there's a lot of steps and, and things to negotiate, but definitely children would ask absolutely adore it as would adults because it is quite quite uh, stunning down there and you can find out more on mitchellstowncaves.com I actually do have the number I do 052 746 7246 7246 but booking is now because of COVID-19 booking is essential uh, Bernie's taking our calls here to 1850 333 103 some of your calls and firstly some texts have come in both 
both of these actually came in almost at the same time. Breathe says, hi Trish, just got a scam call f- pretending to be from the AIB bank. When I listened to it, the person on the recorded message asked me to enter my 16 digit number and what they're looking for is the 16 digit number that runs across the front of your card. That's what they were looking for. Breathe said, I turned off my phone. I knew immediately it was a scam. And Anne says, Patricia, I just got a call from an 087 number, one of the automated messages telling me my public service number uh, has been stopped. I hung up, says Anne. Well done. OK, it's good to know that people are very aware of these scam calls, but they are. There are so many of them uh, out. And actually yesterday, just towards the close of the programme, and like we've been we've been talking about them, I think since the start, there's in the day goes by, I think that we don't give some kind of a, even a fleeting message to it because we inevitably will get in either a call or a text or a WhatsApp or an email from somebody saying, oh, you know, I'm just after getting a call and listing the numbers and all of that. And we'll inevitably try and give it a mention just to let other people know. And you think at this stage, you know, there are times when I'm doing it and I'm thinking, God, am I, I'm still saying the same thing over and over again. Surely you think everybody at this stage knows about them. But unfortunately, that's not the case, even though we keep talking about it. There are still people who don't fully understand what's happening with these scam calls. And only only towards the end of the programme yesterday, when we had spoken again about it and we had Sergeant John Kelly on from the GAR as part of Crime File talking about it yesterday. And he was talking about the increase in these calls and that every guard, the station all over the country were getting calls from people saying, I've had another one of those calls. John Kelly, a local sergeant himself, received two of those scam calls to his own private uh, phone number. So there's so many of them out and about. And lo and behold, towards the end of the programme yesterday, a rather distressed listener contacted us uh, to say that she was very worried because she had got this phone call in uh, saying that the Gardaí were investigating her and that something had happened with her PPS number and she was terrified that the guards were going to call around to see her and we had to explain that it was just a scam call. So keep talking about it and keep talking about it uh, to people uh, who perhaps are not quite picking up on what these scam calls are all about. So we can't, I don't think we, we, we can't overemphasise them enough that there are people unfortunately getting uh, caught out. Now, some more of your calls coming in. Edward in uh, Friars Walk in Cork City says, no one, he says the corporation, what he means of course is the council, is cleaning the drains this year. Edward in Friars Walk has noticed that the grass and the weeds are growing up through the shores. Have other people started to notice that? He said Irish Water now are in charge of it. But if that is the case, he said they're not doing their job right. He said because they're certainly not cleaning them out. And have others noticed when you're out and about having a walk that the shores are filling up with weeds and grass and the big worry I would have there we're okay while we have reasonably good weather and just the odd shower but if we get and we've had bad floods in in summertime ask some businesses and householders whose lives were destroyed because of a flood that and we we traditionally think the floods only happen in the winter time but we know we can get a bad summer storm as well and if you got a lot of water running down a road or running down a street and the shore is suddenly blocked up with it, as Edward is describing with weeds and grass. The water then has nowhere to go and that then leads to flooding issues. I would, uh, Edward, if you know who your local councillor is, I would be reporting it and get them to get somebody out to, if, if it's as bad as you are describing. And I don't know if others have noticed that. Keep a look at shores when you're out. If you're out for any kind of a walk or a stroll, and are you noticing that many of them are blocked up with weeds and with uh, grass? And then Mary in Castletown Bear has been on to us to say, does anybody know about respite? 
Weekend respite in particular. Does anybody know when it's going to be back? She, Mary is the mother of a Down syndrome girl and her girl used to, her daughter used to always enjoy going off to uh, respite and she hasn't had it now. In God, it's well over a year, Mary, respite when we went into lockdown in March of 2020. Respite was one of the first things they closed completely. I certainly haven't heard locally in my area of any respite been offered. What you would have to do is you'd have to check in with whoever has been offering you has been offering your daughter the respite and respite is so important for your own daughter because she gets to have a break away from the family but it's also so important for the carers as well it's kind of a chance to recharge the the batteries and I speak from experience on that I know how important uh, respite is but I would suggest whoever I mean if you're in in Castletown Bear um whoever your provider is, whoever your your daughter gets her service from, check in with them and just start asking the question because at this stage, I mean, I'm assuming your daughter, if she's not fully vaccinated, she's very soon on the road to being fully vaccinated and all of the workers, you assume, have been offered a vaccination and please God, they're all fully vaccinated as well. So hopefully with more and more people fully vaccinated, services like that can start to reopen. But we'll, we'll But I would just check in with your service provider and just see have they any indication on when they hope to have respite back up and uh, running and we'll put it out over the radio to see if anybody else have you been you know since lockdown obviously respite services went and shared home care went as well has any of it come back has anybody started to get an offer of respite anywhere across the city or county if you can uh, let us uh, know please 1850-333-103 John in the city is worried about the vintners with all the talk that we're not going to have a reopening on July 5th, uh, John says they, they simply should just go ahead and reopen. We can't go on living like this, says John. We have to learn to live side by side with COVID. So he is, well, I think it's the fact that the vintners and the restaurants are in a little bit of limbo land at the moment that they don't know if they're coming or going. They, we Everyone had been expected that the next stage would be July 5th but nobody knows and we're going to have to wait. We'll certainly have another week. It'll be Wednesday of next week. We know that Neffet have their meeting. They pass on their recommendation then to the COVID subcommittee and that will also happen on Wednesday and then the Cabinet will meet in full on Thursday at some stage they'll take on board what was recommended from Neffet and they'll take on board what's recommended from the Cabinet subcommittee and then I take at six o'clock on Thursday evening that the Taoiseach Micheál Martin will address the nation and will let everybody know if we are going ahead with July the 5th or not and that's the next Thursday is the 1st of July so it leaves very very little time for businesses to put in their order for stock I mean restaurants having to get food in how many staff are we going to need if we're fully reopening that I do I have absolutely huge sympathy for the hospitality industry because they're in that no man's land. Are they starting or are they not starting? And then I'm also seeing it from the other side. You know, I'm listening to Neffet. I'm listening to what they're saying and they're thinking if we if we did if we jump too fast, are we going to end up in this situation? I mean, nobody wants us to go backwards. I mean, absolutely for sure, nobody wants us to go backwards. I think Neffert are going to be very cautious about it. And I know I saw the Taoiseach. He is in Brussels today. And it was something that I saw just there before 
as we went into the news at uh, 12. He's over in uh, speaking at a meeting in Brussels. All the member states are, are meeting. And obviously the big thing that everybody's talking about is vaccines. He's firstly been able to say there'll be no additional supplies of the um RNA, the Pfizer and the Moderna. There's going to be no extra ones in July for Ireland. So that's a bit of a, of a disappointment. But he said, uh, speaking in Brussels, uh, the issue for the member, for all member states is can you delay the variant to get more vaccines done? And I think that's where Neffet are going to come from it. Neffet, I think, are going to say if they do I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I think they're going to say if we can delay, say, for three weeks or a month, in that three weeks or a month, how many more people can get vaccinated. But then I, if Michal Martin is saying we're not going to get additional vaccines in July, if you're delaying it, you're delaying it for what reason? I mean, I would only delay it if I knew we were getting a lot more vaccines were available and we could get start getting them into the arms of people. But if there isn't going to be any extra vaccines in July, what will be the point, I wonder, of delaying it? Michal Martin speaking in Brussels says the vaccination is the weapon here to protect against the Delta variant. Now, he did speak in Brussels. We are in a lucky situation, I think, in this country in that we have a high number of people who have come forward for vaccinations, a particularly high uptake of vaccinations amongst the vulnerable group. But he said that is giving us protection. But obviously he said we need to get down to the younger age cohort more more quickly. And if we possibly can, we need to get them uh, protected. And we know that the chief medical officer is already looking at the, the research into mixing the vaccines. Is that going to be um, is that something we could we could look at? And we know Tony Houlihan also uh, indicated that he's written to NIAC to see if there's any way that the younger, we could remove some of the age restrictions on things like the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and broaden out the portfolio of vaccines that would be available for July and August. The idea would be that we would start offering AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to the younger age courts, but it'll be up to NIAC will be the ones to, that will decide on that. And Miol Martin quoted the Portuguese Prime Minister who said the experience of the Delta variant there has not been accompanied by a rise in hospitalisation or a rise in critical care. He says a lot of data still being collected but he thinks that the, the most practical exercise is underway at the moment. They're looking at what's happening in other countries and we spoke about that yesterday that that's going to be the big one for Neffet. Not necessarily how many daily figures, how many daily cases of COVID-19 we have but it's looking at how many people have ended up in hospital hospital and how many will end up needing critical care in ICU if the Delta variant is not accompanied by a rise in hospitalisation and critical care add to it that all of our vulnerable and our older people have been vaccinated so they won't need hospitalisation or critical care then it's a different ball game then maybe we could look at starting to do start to open up on July the 5th and the HSC of course have come out and are urging people to please make sure that you get the second dose of your COVID-19 vaccine because they obviously are very worried about the Delta uh, variant. And recent uh, estimates from the European Centre of Disease Prevention are saying that the Delta variant will will almost certainly account for 90% of all infections across Europe by the end of uh, August. And we know that the Delta variant is between 40 and 60% more transmissible than the Alpha variant. And studies are showing that people who are fully vaccinated, that's with their two doses of AstraZeneca or Pfizer vaccines, are equally protected against this variant as they are from all of the other variants. And speaking yesterday, Paul Reid said it's uh, unlikely 
that we will go back to the dark days of January and February with this variant because we have so many people uh, vaccinated. But he said we really don't know precisely how the Delta variant is going to work out or indeed any other variants that might pop up. So because of that, he is saying to people, you need to get your vaccinations and you need to get your second uh, vaccination. And he once again uh, reiterated that there is strong protection after the second dose against the Delta variant. He said 92% protection if you're getting the AstraZeneca and 96% if you are getting the the Pfizer. And I know it's low enough, but it's still worrying. About 6% of people are not going forward to get their second jab and they really are putting themselves at risk because if you only have one jab of Pfizer or Moderna or one jab of AstraZeneca, you're only about 30% covered for the Delta variant and if that becomes the dominant one then you're, you're, we're into trouble for sure. 1850-333-103 Bernie is taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp as to 0862-103-103 The C103 Cork Diary With the new Explore Cork app a Cork County Council initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do Bohabui National School is holding a fundraising raffle. They're offering you a chance to win a dream house in Killarney. They also have 35,000 in monthly prizes. Now, the first prize is going to be given away today. There'll be monthly prizes then. It's 10,000 euro they'll give away today. Monthly prizes then of 5,000. That's from July through to November. And then the draw for the grand prize, which is the house in Killarney, will take place on New Year's Eve. Tickets are 100 euro and they can be purchased online from www.winyourdreamhousekalarney.com Castellown's Coolgown Bridgeway Development have got a golf classic going on today at Fomoy Golf Club good luck to everybody taking part and this week's home bingo books for Kildallery Bingo Group are now on sale usual outlets and you're in the chance of winning one of the five full houses of 50 euro and the snowball is 150 euro this week and a drop and go collection in aid of local charities will be held in Charleville Town Park tomorrow Saturday from 10am to 3pm your support would be gratefully appreciated and Araglin Drive-In Country and Irish live music concert is on this Sunday half past two admission is just 10 euro per person music is by Martin Carney and Derry Kennedy Peter Burke and a guest appearance by Art Supple Bumblance is their charity of choice for Sunday's concert Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 A quick look at some of your calls and texts coming in Oh Marion Donnerell was on she has a load of jam pots if anybody's making jam at the moment and could use them well done I love to see people passing on things like that and upcycling them so they can be used so is anybody in the process of making jam Jam, kind of the Donnerail area, ideally. Uh, but we have Mary's uh, contact number here if you're looking for it. But she's in the Donnerail area with a load of jam pots. If uh, anybody would like those, give us a call, please. Uh, some of your texts coming in. Hi, uh, Patricia. I certainly do hope that they will mix the vaccines. I'm really upset and stressed out because I felt Leo Varadkar bullied us into taking AstraZeneca. I'm assuming uh, this is a caller in their 60s. And now 
always telling us to take our second vaccine. Well, we would if they would give it to us. They are stating the obvious. I'm fed up with this. I'm locked up again for the summer. I feel so helpless. Alyssa, my heart goes out to you. The only thing is we are hearing from more and more people who are getting the phone call for their second shot. So hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later. And we know that Paul Reid said that by the 19th of July. Now, I know that just seems an eternity away. Like another three weeks, they will have everybody in that cohort done. But hopefully you'll get the call for your second jab. Anne says, if you get the two AstraZeneca injections for COVID, how much are you covered for this new uh, strain, the Delta strain? Well, Paul Reid yesterday came out again, and I've seen him uh, say this before as well, that for the the Delta strain, two shots of five, once you've had both your doses of Pfizer, you're 96% protected. And he said against AstraZeneca, the evidence is showing you're 92% uh, protected if you get, once you've had your second dose of AstraZeneca. Hi, uh, uh, thank you for that. And Peter says, they're giving COVID numbers out every day on the news, but they're not telling us the number of people have died. Has anybody noticed that in the last four weeks? That's because of the cyber attack, Peter, that can't collate all of the information. Now we will eventually, the HSE is very slowly coming back but since the cyber attack which happened in the middle of May it's actually longer now than four weeks they haven't been given the daily that's not to say people are are sadly not dying from Covid they are and they will eventually collate all of the information and give it to us uh, then Uh, Patricia make no mistake about it the government have been I feel this John says I think the government have been very cute by putting it out there that indoor dining will not go ahead you can forget it I reckon there'll be no indoor dining this year and the Delta variant is well on its way button down the hatches says John we'll be in the same position we were in after Christmas of 2020 ah no John don't please don't say that and actually we won't and we can't because when you look at the number of people that have been vaccinated we hadn't even started vaccinations when we opened the floodgates at Christmas and the Kent variant as it was at the time very different situation in this country in that the older people in the main are vaccinated a lot of the vulnerable people and more every single day that we're speaking here on the radio vaccination centre are open and more and more people are getting vaccinated so no it's, it is a different picture and even Paul Reid himself uh, said we're certainly not going to go back to the dark what did he call it the dark days of December and January because we have so many people vaccinated that's not to say that we won't get more uh, an increase in figures but it will be in the younger age group because unfortunately they're the ones that are not uh, vaccinated and Anthony makes an interesting point with all of the scam calls and people talking about scam calls um, Anthony said it seems to have been saturated with scam calls maybe since the HSE cyber attack because it seems to be constant. Yeah, I mean, and we were definitely get them, getting them before the HSE, the cyber attack on the HSE, but is it just coincidental that we do seem to be absolutely inundated with them? Somebody else says, Trish, I've had six scam calls in the last two days. Getting very tired of it now, Susanna, blocking all of the numbers in. That's all you can do is just keep blocking them. But it is frustrating and it is annoying. And just a final one in the middle of all of those texts from a listener saying, we have lots of rabbits. Any solution, please, on how to get rid of the rabbits? And I am assuming that they are destroying your uh, garden. For the life of me, I can't remember what was the name of the product but if you want to text that in again on Wednesday when Peter Dowdell is on he gave the name of a pro- product that he felt that there was some success with 
but I, I don't know if, if it's to do with plants or not. If it is, come back to us on Wednesday and we'll see if Peter uh, can come up with some solution for you. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. Now, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, continues with her Cork versus COVID feature. Last week, she was focusing on how outdoor, outdoor dining was going. And today she is looking at the reopening of gyms and what it means for good, positive mental health. But if you close your eyes, does it almost feel like nothing changed at all? It's almost a month since gyms across Cork were allowed to reopen and Bear Row of Coral Leisure Cove says it's been a welcome relief for both customers and staff. We opened Bank Holiday Monday. We normally do reduced hours on a bank holiday, but we opened um, as normal at 6.30. There was 720 slots available on Bank Holiday Monday when we opened and every one of them were full. So people were just buzzing to get back in the door. Um, like, there are people who are kind of apprehensive about coming back. Mm. Um, like, a lot of things have changed while the doors were closed as well. People got into training at home. They were buying equipment, you know, to do their own gyms at home. So, like, we're not going to get everyone back. But, like, the people we have got back just... They're loving it. Like, what is it about the gym that people missed? Because as you said, a lot of people started doing training at home. They started doing open seawater swimming. They started doing running, maybe. I think it's just the atmosphere. And like you wouldn't have the range of equipment at home mm-hmm. that you'd have in, in the gym here. And like a lot of home equipment is very expensive as well. So um, it was just... And I think have like having people here that have the knowledge on training like the gym instructors and the personal training um like that's something that you wouldn't have at home either you know tony martin runs a personal training and well-being center in the city center he says people are glad to be back but the last year has been tough on so many and i think the biggest um, issue for everybody being affected has been like nobody knowing exactly what's going on uh, the access to information has never been greater in terms of everybody having an opinion. Mm. Um, so betwixt between all the real information, disinformation, science, non-science, I think people are very, very confused. And it's the fear of not knowing has driven people to the state that they're in now. But I think, like everything, we're all living in hope. Uh, once there's been a little chink of light for everybody, everybody is hopefully moving on now in the right direction. But the last year, I'd say it's been it's been heavy going, kind of from a financial point of view and from every other point of view. But I think everybody has been in the same boat. Tony says the uncertainty around lockdowns and reopenings has taken its toll on people's mental well-being. It's that unease, you know, the disquiet people are feeling because of the unknown, mm. and that's where that whole thing is at. I think for absolutely everybody, and we're just waiting to be told, yeah, you can do this, you can do that, and. It's like a lot of people in kindergarten being wait, to, to, waiting to, to, to be told what to do and to have their, their choices defined for them, which is um, which is a very, very unpleasant way, you know, to live your life. But everybody's in the same boat. So we've just got to make the most of it, make the best of it and, and just flow on and wait and see what happens. Back out in Cove, Bear Row says that measures are in place to protect every gym user's health and safety. Classes are currently being held outdoors and she says this is one measure that could remain into the future. We're not allowed to run classes in, indoor and the classes are back indoor from July. So um, Andrea is actually doing a spinning class outside there now um, and they're f- like they're, f- they're full. 
do you know which is great like but it's good if the weather is fine yeah. but like last week we had to cancel a few classes because because the rain so like if we weather like we have today then it, you know it's a no-brainer like now a lot of people have said even when the classes are allowed to come back indoor that if the weather is good they prefer to keep them outdoors so like that's another thing that we can look at Well done and I know uh, thanks to our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran uh, for that and I know so many people thrilled to have the gyms back and uh, interested in listening to that piece the whole the mental health side of it of staying fit is so important to so many people so our thanks uh, once again to Fiona Corcoran our senior news reporter who has been producing the Cork versus Covid feature that we've been running for the last number of weeks and actually that's her final one because she's moving on to I can't quite say pastures new because she's staying with in the company but she's just moving on to a new position and I just wanted to wish Fiona Corcoran the very best of luck in her new uh, position she's always been such a pleasure to deal with here on the programme so best of luck to you Fiona now I've been talking about the digital certificate the, the digital COVID certificate the COVID passport which is with lots of people uh, have been shortening to Taryn Dingle has raised an interesting one says how will the digital certificate work for those of us Irish citizens who have been fully vaccinated outside of the EU with a double Pfizer shot we want to travel in August within the EU how will it work thanking you that's from Tara in Dingle. And we know a number of people, certainly who were in the States and the States were rolling out the vaccine at a much faster pace than we were rolling it out here in Ireland. I remember we had one gentleman contacted us who went to the States to visit his daughter and he was pushing a supermarket trolley around the supermarket somewhere in the States and he got approached to say, have you had your vaccine? Which obviously he didn't. We weren't rolling it out for his age group here. And they said, and he got it while he was on holidays and then he, came, he arrived back from, from the States fully vaccinated so there are people and obviously Tara and Dingle is in the same boat perhaps was living and working in the States could have been the States could have been elsewhere anyway fully vaccinated and I don't have the answer to your question Tara all I do know is that the department there's a number of departments involved the department of the Taoiseach are involved public expenditure and reform are involved and obviously the Department of Health they're all working and they're working now to ensure that the digital COVID certificate will be in place in Ireland for July 19th it'll roll out across the other European countries from the 1st of July but we're not we're not signing up for it until the 19th of July so they're working on it and I know government ministers are constantly saying that it absolutely has to be up and running for that the, the, the very latest date for July 19th now we have been told that people who went to any of the vaccination centres here anyone who went or anyone who went to their doctor will know they have all of the details they have people's air codes they have PPS numbers so they have all of the information so they can they know exactly who's been vaccinated who got one shot who got two shots and the dates and the times and all of that so it'll be very easy to electronically issue the certificates to them but Tara is right there will be another group of people who are vaccinated outside of Ireland who will also need to have a digital certificate I'm assuming that you have all the paperwork Tara to back up where and how you were vaccinated and there obviously will be either a portal will open that you'll apply that way but we'll keep a close eye on it and as soon as we know that they have the system in place for 
the digital COVID certificate for people vaccinated in this country. We certainly will get on to them to find out about people who are outside the country and uh, let them and let, let you know. OK, uh, thank you for that, uh, Tara. And good to have you along listening to us in beautiful uh, Dingle. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And thanks to David in Holly Hill. He was listening to me call out about Mary and Donnerell, who has the load of jam jars, jam pots and was wondering, does, does anybody looking for jam jars, somebody making jam at the moment? If she doesn't find somebody, David in Holly Hill says, pop along to any farmer's markets, people there who make jams and preserves would be only too delighted with the jam jars. He said they also take egg cartons. Thank you for that, uh, David. OK, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. My oh. dad once told me that uh, he used to get into the cinema back in the 30s yeah. uh, by, by handing in jam jars. <laughs> Oh, because there was because it it was like the the money on the jam jars. Was it was it? like a currency. Yeah, yeah. They'd, well, they'd hand in jam jars to get into the cinema. Yeah, goodness me, you'd be collecting the jam jars to get to get in. Okay, okay. You watched two movies for us. One is Luca, and the second is The Serpent. Now I have a little trailer from Luca. This is Pixar, is it? It is indeed. Is indeed. Okay, here is a quick little trailer from Luca. Everything good is above the surface. That's crazy. If my parents found out, it would be bad. Follow my lead. That's not right. The world is a very dangerous place. Never go near the surface. Why do you think he kills with those? Anything that swims. Don't worry, we got this. Okay, Luca, this is is it set in Italy? Seems to be a lot of Italian accents going on there in the background. It is, isn't it? In very much so, yeah, because uh, the director here, Enrico Carasola, I think, is his name. Uh, he uh, grew up in Italy and he has basically based this film uh, on his actual life. Uh, the film is about a friendship between these two boys and he said that when he grew up in Italy, he was a very, very shy boy and in fact he met this other boy who was kind of a bit of a ne'er-do-well and, uh, but because of his kind of mischief-making, it brought his personality uh, and he was able to rid himself of the kind of shyness uh, that he had uh, all thanks to this boy and so therefore that's why he wrote this film. And it's also kind of not only a kind of a homage to his life, but it's also a homage to a lot of those kind of um, Italian filmmakers of kind of the 60s, like Fellini, um, which is a bit pretentious, I think, because I don't really see that as much of that on uh, on screen. Uh, but uh, I'm glad to be able to say he has made something absolutely lovely and uh, delightful here. I was a critic of, uh, of the last film, if you remember, Soul, yeah. which I thought got really, really complicated and got really kind of existential. And I thought, look, you know, and I often wonder sometimes, uh, certainly I think it's been the case in the past, when it comes to Pixar, Pixar kind of got into the habit of thinking of making films for critics rather than, you know, kids and families. And so therefore they made their films very, very overcomplicated. And I thought they did that with Soul. And thankfully, I'm not the only one who made that critic criticism because they have admitted that they took that on board. And they decided, look, we're not going to make a film for the critics here. We're going to make something for all the family. And I'm glad to be able to say uh, that they've done it here because at least, you know, kids will love this as opposed to Soul, which kind of got maybe a little bit too complicated for them. I don't know if you saw Soul or not. I, I, um, I didn't, I didn't, but I, but I know of friends of mine who took, who their children watched it and exactly what you said, they said just went over the kid's head, it was just way too complicated. Exactly, yeah, and I think, exactly, and they, they, they make them for the critics because, of course, the critics love Pixar and uh, and that's why they, and of course, now because they've made something for, I think, for us, 
you know, I'm not, I never consider myself a critic. I'm just a fan who goes to movies and talks to you about it. I think they've made uh, a film here for all the family, and certainly I think kids would love this because a lot of slapstick in here, which goes kids really love. And of course, the film is absolutely beautiful. It was meant to be released uh, about a year, year and a half ago, but then of course uh, the pandemic hit, and of course um, it wasn't able to be released. But they've had to make some of it, in fact, at home. At the very end, uh, during the credits, there's a lovely kind of reference to everybody in this film. We want to play. Uh, thank everybody in this film for making this in their slippers and nightgowns because of course the, a lot of the animators made this stuck at home <laughs> and so and so it just goes to show you I think the, the incredible talent I mean I know you love the, you know me I'm always talking about animation and, yeah. uh, you know, and you're, a you're a big fan you're a big of, fan of good animation Exactly, I absolutely love it. And to produce something like this in your front room is just extraordinary because there's, it, it, it is so, uh, you know, it is so delicate and so detailed and it is so beautiful. And that takes an awful lot of work because, of course, it takes, it takes months to produce two minutes of, of animation to put it on screen. There's a, there's a scene where they're, uh, they're on a beach and, of course, every, it's a pebble beach. Every single one of those pebbles had to be animated and drawn. I mean, it's extraordinary what they produced. And to be able to do it in your front room just goes to show the talent, I think, of the people involved here. And it needs a really, really strong director to be able to constantly communicate with these people, even though they're not together in a room, to be able to produce something as beautiful and, and as lovely as this. So basically, uh, the two boys, they are sea creatures. They uh, are just off the Italian coast. Um, and the thing is that they're told not to go above water because uh, even though they're sea creatures, uh, the humans consider them to be sea monsters, and so therefore the humans will kill them. Um, they discover that, like the kind of legend of the mermaid, though, if you do go above water, you will turn into a human being. And the two, the two boys, of course, uh, decided to to leave the water, and they have these incredible adventures together. Um, they find a poster to a Vespa, and that's kind of a reference to Fellini, you know, the kind of 60s kind of Italian movies, and they think the Vespa is a motorbike, it's just the best thing ever. They're the scooters. And they want... Say again? They're, uh, they're the scooters. The scooters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. They the really they Italian scooter, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So they decide to kind of make their own, but they do it with kind of plastic and kind of um, bits of timber, and of course, which doesn't work. They decide to be more adventurous and go to the local village, and they realize that there is a race, there's a cycle race, and uh, if they get involved in a cycle race, then uh, they can earn enough money to be able to buy this uh, scooter. Once at the same time, trying to avoid water, because every time they're touched by water, of course, you know, they're... Their blue colouring as sea creatures will be exposed. So there are lots of kind of running jokes about, you know, them trying to stay out of the rain and, stri- you know, getting splashed in the face and diving under kind of tables and stuff. So there is a lot of comedy, but I think if I had one kind of reservation about the film, I didn't think it was as funny as it could have been and, and, and possibly it should have been. That was my only disappointment in it. There's a lot of slapstick, yes, but I just wish it was just that tad bit funnier. I'm not the only one, if anything, of, of the criticism of the film, it, it, it's all that. The rest of it is just wonderful from start to finish and I know that kids will love it. And at last year, we, we do have a kid a, a, a film, which is kind of a basic storyline and sim- simplistic, but beautifully made and, uh, and all the family will love it. And the most important thing is children will be able to follow it and then if they can follow it it'll hold their attention exactly and they will love it yeah and I loved it uh, we all did all three of us watched it we all loved it ok mark it out of 10 Luca uh, I'll give it 8 8 out of 10 ok and yeah. then another movie you watch for us is The Serpent yeah this is possibly the worst film I've ever seen in my life <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen some terrible films but I was thinking to myself what is what is, what is a bad movie I mean what would you consider a bad movie to me to me, a bad movie is a movie that's made by talented people who have a lot of money to work with 
and you would expect them to make something that's good, but it ends up being a stinker. To me, that's a bad movie. This is just terrible. I mean, but nobody expects it, uh, it to be anything else than other than what it is. And uh, but I wouldn't put it in a list of my top five worst films of the year because, of course, it is that terrible. And then, of course, you got to ask yourself: Is it so bad it's good, or is it so bad that it's just dreadful? Well, you know, the latter seems to be the kind of common, uh, you know, discourse amongst people who have kind of seen the film. This is just extraordinary. And how it, how it was made, I have absolutely no idea. It's written, directed, and produced, and stars a woman by the name of Gia Skova, who uh, is a Russian model. Okay. And, you know, she was quite successful. She came to Europe when she was 15. You know, she uh, modeled for Stella McCartney. And she did, you know, appear in some, uh, as an actress in some roles. She made a film called Mank uh, some time ago, which lived up to its name. Uh, it has a zero rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. When I went on uh, to download this film, I went down the Play Store. It said it had an 85% rating on um on Rotten Tomatoes, so I thought, well, that must be good. So I went on Rotten Tomatoes. It does not have an 85% rating, trust oh. me. It has, three re- it has three reviews on it, and each said, it's a bomb, it's terrible. It really is absolutely dreadful. And the question you have to ask is, how it was this made? Where did the money come to make this? Because even though it is, it's a B, it's a B movie, it's low budget, but it, you know, there are planes, there are trains, there are, there are cars, there are effects, so... It, you know, they must have spent about $15 million to make this. I couldn't find out what the budget was. And, um, and but somebody decided to give this woman a chance to do this. Now, I, on the one hand, I admire her for to be able to, uh, you know, to, to, to do this. But unfortunately, she can't act. She can't direct. She can't write. It is just one of the worst films I've ever seen. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm thinking, how was this made? Who, who gave her the money to make this film? Uh, she is the producer as well of the film, so I'm wondering if she put a lot of her own money into it. But like, if you talk about bad acting, I mean, like, just she's got one blank look on her face throughout the whole film. She, all of the actors are really bad, so she can't direct. There's a there's a, a chase scene with cars in it. Obviously, the cars are going at around twenty kilometers an hour. Everybody's shooting at each other. They're supposed to be these incredible kind of CIA kind of marksmen and women, and they don't hit anything. I mean, it's extraordinary. Do you want to know the storyline? This, this is the storyline that she wrote, right? She comes across this plot by these Chinese scientists, right? Mm-hmm. You ready for this? Yeah. They put chips into babies to oh. turn them into nuclear weapons. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> you think, really? 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 And the film is just constant. The narrative is all over the place. There are constant flashbacks. For some reason, she ends up in prison for five years. I don't know. They don't explain why. Another time, she takes this um, job as a teacher so she can kill another teacher. Why she didn't just kill the teacher, I have absolutely no idea. So the film is all over the place. Badly directed, badly um, badly um, performed. And, yeah, and so part of me then thinks, well, you know, I'll, I'll never say to somebody not watch it. But, in fact, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to recommend <laughs> Everybody, if at all possible, you can actually get to see this film and just show how films should not be done. And uh, I was, I actually got to the stage where I was beginning to become entertained by just how terrible it is. Okay, it's called The Serpent, by the way. Mark, let it ten. Are we going a minus? Oh, of course, minus 100. It really is dreadful. But go watch <laughs> we are not it and see how, just how bad it is. All right, listen, Mark, have a good week. We'll chat again next Friday. Thank you for that.
welcome. Good afternoon to you. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. And a Tipperary listener says, thanks for all the advice and the scam calls. She's been getting them and she now knows to hang up on them immediately. Thank you for that. And Martin in Carrigaline says, if you get a scam call on your landline, make sure that the num- that you when you hang it up, pick up the phone and hang it up a few times because sometimes they can stay on the line. So make sure that it is disconnected. I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for that, Martin in Carrigaline. That's where I leave you for today and for this week. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who's been working on the programme all week. John Paul back with us on Monday. Nick Richards is next. Talk to you Monday at 10. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.